Hey, welcome to a Wiser Retirement Podcast. Leaving a financial legacy isn't something that happens by accident. It takes planning. We've put together a guide with seven steps to leave a financial legacy and have made it available for free on our website. This guide covers designing your legacy, estate planning, financial education, and protecting your legacy. The link to download seven steps to leave a financial legacy is listed in the episode description, or you can go to wiserinvestor.com, scroll to the bottom and find it there. Now on to today's episode. Welcome to a Wiser Retirement Podcast, where we believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith, guiding you to financial freedom today is my co-host, Brad Lyons. Hey, Brad. Hi, Casey. We also have a special guest today, uh, Barbara Garner from the uh, Cobb Community Foundation. She's the donor, donor services manager uh, for the organization. Barbara is also on uh, uh, episode 73 of our podcast last year. We talked about uh, what donor advised funds are. So you might want to listen to that one as a bonus feature for today's. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the legacy of generosity. Hey, Barbara. Good morning. Thank you for having me back, Casey and Brad. Glad to have Welcome. you. So our theme this quarter has been legacy planning, and it's encompassed a lot of different topics. Um, but today, I wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about what the Cobb Community Foundation is and then how this works into uh, families and how they think about their legacy. Okay, perfect. We spoke about this earlier, and you're singing our song. So, um, again, I'm with Cobb Community Foundation, and our tagline is actually, your legacy starts now. Um, hey, I do, didn't even know that. Yeah, well, yeah. We are. There right you go. Online, right aren't we? I love it when a plan comes together. I know, and you didn't even know it. So at Cobb Community Foundation, we do a lot of different things. So uh, first and foremost, we are a grant-making nonprofit, and we collaborate. We're a convener. We bring together stakeholders in the community to really identify what the issues are, the greatest needs in our, in our area. And then we work with our donors and funds that we raise outside of our donors to really impact those issues. We are also a charitable fund manager. So we work with charitable individuals, excuse me, families and businesses to set up donor advised funds and other charitable vehicles so that they can really plan their legacy and live their legacy out now. So basically would you describe it as like a clearinghouse in that if you wanna help people or organizations in your community and directly the, the people, um, you're working with many different organizations. Absolutely. So instead Absolutely. of instead of having to pick an organization, hey, I want to help the homeless. How do I help the homeless? You go to Google and you try to find an organization. Right. You've kind of screened about which ones are making the biggest impacts and yes. which ones are legitimate, not legitimate. I think that's a great way to put it. Absolutely. So, so. Uh, We handle the relationships. We handle the research. Um, and a lot of people think, well, if you're the Cobb Community Foundation, then you only work with nonprofits here. Cobb County and the areas beyond. So we're getting into Cherokee, you know, out into DeKalb a little bit. But um, that's where our expertise is, but we can grant to any 501c3. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And then the donor advised fund portion, uh, that's basically with, with you know, as little as $10,000, you create your own family foundation. That's right. That's right. And, and that's it's so much easier, so much less expensive. Um, you make the donation and you receive your tax deduction when it makes sense for you. Mm -hmm. um, you can begin granting immediately as soon as the fund is open. Um, some folks like to use that as their charitable savings account. So while they are, you know, in their high earning years, they set this up, but they're not granting from it. So their plan is to wait until they retire 
and then start using that um, to give at the same levels that they've been giving their entire okay. life. Yeah. So what do you guys think it means to leave a legacy of generosity? Well, we really prefer to live a legacy of generosity versus leaving a legacy of generosity because, um, gosh, that could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So for me, I'm a mom, and that has been something that we have intentionally uh, worked with our kids on. We have a family donor advised fund. It doesn't have a big balance, but we've used that as a teaching tool. So we sit down at the dinner table after we're done eating and talk about, okay, you know, what are the issues that are really important to you? So it doesn't necessarily have to be what's important to my husband and I. We really find, want to find out what's important to our boys. Mm-hmm. And because I have that knowledge, we start talking about, okay, well, here are some nonprofits that are really tackling those issues. You know, we'll reach out and find out what their needs are and then make a grant and let them do that. They're teenagers. They have that capability. Right. And, um one of my sons in particular is really invested in that and he has a job now and he actually cuts a check and I take it into work about once a month. Oh, wow. So that's what it can look like. Well, that's interesting. Um, in that you said you, as a family, you you talk about this and you make these decisions together. How would you suggest that families who have not done this in the past broach this conversation and, and then have that and then try and gather input from, from one another. You know what? It is never, ever too late. I think that's a beautiful question, but it really isn't. So um, I think it starts with just getting together. It's always a great idea just to tell the family stories, you know, um, what has been a generous act in the past or when is the last time you volunteered together, kind of broaching it like that. Or, hey, I saw you know, whatever must is making sandwiches this summer maybe we could do something like that hey what are some issues that are important to you just keep it really casual you know i'm I'm sure from a a donor standpoint or receiver standpoint you see it change lives and change communities um how do you see it changing the lives of the people who provide these funds Mm, that is such a great question we see it in so many different ways. So another story that we have, and it was similar to what I just mentioned, a family set up a fund, um, you know, in their high earning years right now. So their intent was, this is going to be a savings account. When we retire, we'll start giving that. And then COVID happened. So our president CEO, Sherry Martin, had a Zoom call with any fund holder who wanted to join. And we were just going over, okay, this is what's going on in our community. These are some of the nonprofit partners who are really hitting the mark and making a big impact. Um, And if you have a a fund with us and you're waiting, this is the time. This is what you set your fund up for. So even though that family had planned to give later, he called me after and said, you know what, we were so moved. They ended up granting out almost their entire fund. So how did that impact the family? They also have teenagers. And they sat down and just had that conversation. You know what? We have the means. A lot of people don't. A lot of people have lost everything. So what can we do? And they were touched and they were moved. That's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that the, your president and CEO had, had used the term, um, these are some of the uh, organizations that are hitting their mark. Do you have metrics around organizations that you can use to judge their effectiveness? Because I think from a donor standpoint, people want to make sure that 
that their funds that they've donated are being used effectively, properly, you know, yes. et cetera. So yes. that's also a great question. So because we are intimately involved in the community, we see we see the organizations who are truly at the top of their game and are again hitting their mark. Um, but with any grant that goes out from Cobb Community Foundation, we are doing our due diligence. So we're we're checking them on GuideStar. We're making sure that a they're a five hundred one c three nonprofit. Um, digging in a little bit deeper, you know, are are they sustainable? That kind of thing, especially for larger grants. You know, you don't want to give a, a large grant and then find out the next year that they've gone under. So right. yes, we absolutely. I don't know if you would call that metrics, but we are doing due diligence on every grant. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. But if you're running your own donor advised fund through the foundation, you can really just give to anybody you, you feel comfortable giving to in the end, as long as it's a 501c3. You can right? give to any 501c3, yes. And um, that includes governmental institutions. You know the IRS is yeah. going to set it up so that you can give to any governmental institution. <laughs> right. Any um, house of worship, that type of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So how do you think business owners can participate in Cobb, the Cobb community? Um, they can do so in a whole lot of ways, and they have really, really been stepping up. I've got to say, one of our largest area of, uh, areas of growth have been our corporate giving funds, which is basically just a donor-advised fund. For the corporation. the corporation, yes. And um, it works just the same, and they can they can work with their employees however they like. But one of one of the the corporations that we work with that I think really really does it well is Ram Partners, and uh, they're a nationwide company. But they are um, they're actually in our same building. We work super closely with them. They're in 17 states, I believe, and um, they started with a donor advised fund, and they partner with their employees. So they encourage their employees to give. Um, and they do that through payroll deductions. And any employee who gives also has the ability then to make a grant request. So they could be in Kansas or New York State or whatever. So, um, again, it doesn't have to stay in Cobb County. Okay. But uh, they meet on a quarterly basis and uh, decide who those grants are going to be awarded to. And, um, and we handle that for them. And then they have also added an employee assistance fund. Um, and that's a whole nother thing. So we can actually, um, by partnering the employee assistance with the donor advised fund, we can help their employees who, you know, maybe there's been a death in the family, maybe they had a flood, maybe they had COVID, you know, there's, there's a certain set of situations that again, the IRS regulates, mm -hmm. but we can make grants to, um, a partner organization that can help them with their mortgage, healthcare costs, that kind of thing. So they can be generous with their employees as well as with the community. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Through the donor advice fund? It's not through the donor advice fund. It's actually a separate fund. But because but set the up employee similarly. assistance fund is not flexible and the donor advice fund is, okay. the, the employee assistance fund is minimally funded. And then as those funds are needed, we transfer it in from the donor advice fund. Oh, that's interesting. What size companies do you see normally start that? <sighs> it's really been all over the place. Um, I would say probably 50 to five, 600 employees. Yeah. 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 I figured there's a point at which you, you don't always know everyone that's working at your company. I can't imagine doing that here, but, but it makes sense. 50, 50 people would probably even maybe 30 potentially. And another thing that's really beautiful about that is it's completely anonymous. So if you were to have an employee assistance fund here, yeah. 
and one of your employees had a need. They don't have to come to you. They don't have to go to HR. You don't even have to know that there's a situation. Oh, you guys administer that. We partner with Center for Family Resources, so they call them, and they would identify themselves as a Wiser Wealth employee. And you don't know that anything has happened until you get a report at the end of the month saying that $1,500 went from your fund to pay for an employee need. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Pretty cool. Um, so obviously people, you know, you think about generosity, you think about people with, oh, they ran this company, they sold it, they, they've given millions of dollars and you go to the hospital and see all these wings named after people. Um, I think some of us get, not me necessarily, but you know, we give awards out to people for their, their charity and pat them on the back and, mm-hmm. Do it, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's like a wealthy, wealthy person's club. Right. And, and some people kind of look at that going, uh, that's not me. I can't identify with that. Mm-hmm. There's gotta be ways that people who are doing well, we think about wealthy families have the ability to do, make a, such a big impact on the community and they get parade around the newspaper and their egos get padded. Um, but there's also people that are like millionaires next door who saved well, they don't have debt. They had the capability of being uh, probably making just as big of an impact, uh, but maybe it's not always through dollars. Maybe it's a smaller amount of dollars, but they there's, there's action. They can take action. They have time. What can the foundation do to support that? So we have a lot of different things. So one thing that I wanted to say in response to what you just said is um, if when you open a donor advised fund or any other type of fund, you could name that pretty much whatever you want. And we have a lot of folks who name their fund something that will make the grant anonymous because they don't want to be those people who are waving a flag. <laughs> waving a me. flag, yeah. I'm giving it I'm giving, yeah. <laughs> um, they want that to be anonymous. And maybe they want that to be anonymous because they're really humble. Maybe they want that to be anonymous because they don't want every nonprofit knocking on their door. There's a lot of different reasons. Sure. But that is certainly um, an, a capability that we have. So you can make grants large and small. And I just want to tell one other story that was really neat. One of the nonprofits that we work with really closely, they called us, I don't know, a few months back and said, okay, so they're a shelter for uh, domestic... Domestic violence? Yes, thank you. Domestic violence. They're, They're a shelter for domestic violence. And they had a mom with her several children who, you know, they were housing. And the oldest daughter was getting ready to graduate high school. And she was really smart. She had the ability, but they didn't have the finances. She really wanted just to become a, a certified nursing assistant so that she could help her mom support the other kids. And her passion was, uh, was healthcare, and she saw that as a, a great entry point. Um, I believe the program cost about $850. The family didn't have it. The shelter didn't have it. So they called us and said, do you think, you know, could you guys help us? One of your donors, could they help us? And we just said, yes, mm-hmm. we will figure this out. Right. So by the end of the day, it was honestly the first call that I made. By the end of the day, we had a donor who said, yes, please, would love, love, love to do that. So that was an $850 grant yeah. to this organization that I'm sure is literally life-changing, not just for that young lady, but for her family. Um, so to mm-hmm. your point, you don't have to be a millionaire to really make an impact in your community. Um, but yes, so if you have but time. It's, it's, but it's having the connections, and, and that's I think that's 100%. what the, 
benefit of the foundation. Absolutely. Uh, community foundation is, is that you understand where the needs are and people are calling you. Yes. Yes. And um, that we have that kind of relationship with our donors that we're able to pick up the phone or send them an email. You know, sometimes I know that this many people, 12, maybe donors really yeah. have a passion for education and there's a need there. So instead of picking up the phone, I might just email those dozen donors and say, here's the need. But that is a commonplace thing that is weekly, if not daily. Right. Um, but sometimes you have a lot of time and you may not have the money and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You can make an impact in a lot of different ways. So there's a ton of volunteer opportunities. And one of the ways that we wanted to really help people, not necessarily just our donors, but the community know what those volunteer opportunities, uh, maybe there's in need of supplies or furniture or funds. Um, we set up something called the connection and um, you can get to that on our website, which is cobfoundation.org. And you'll look in the upper right-hand corner and just click on Connection. And you'll see volunteer opportunities, give, all of that. Um, you have search capabilities. Uh, we have a lot of organizations right now who are looking for board members. So if there's anybody out there who has a little extra time and they've got some expertise and they're interested in being a board member, I know we have a lot of those needs. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um Hadley can uh, uh, link to that in our podcast notes. So we'll make a, we'll make sure that people can find that. Cause I remember when I went to a breakfast uh, a while back and, and I remember them showing us where that was on the, mm-hmm. on the website. Yes. And uh, I think there was a school just looking for um, like, what was it? Uh, craft supplies. Cra- yeah. Really. Craft, uh-huh. craft supplies. Yes. Right. So like you're like, sticks. really popsicle sticks. <laughs> yes. Like I can pick those up on the way home. That's right. not a big deal. Right? right. So that's a great thing to get your kids <laughs> or grandkids involved with too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the original question, what, what does it mean to leave a legacy of generosity? You, you do have to live it. I think it's, um, you know, if you want your if you want your kids to be debt free, you need should you should live a debt free life as well. Um, if you want your your kids to be kind to others, you should be kind to others. They just kind of mimic what they see at a yes. young age for sure. Ultimately, um, you know, we, we think about traditionally leaving a legacy of generosity. We think things that are named after people. You know, I mean, hospital wings, uh, libraries, right. Carn- is it Carnegie Library? Is that Andrew Carnegie? Yeah, he donated lots of money to library, public I, libraries. I was in a really United small States. town yeah. in Mississippi, I believe, mm-hmm. and I was passing through town, and I looked over, and there was a Carnegie Library, and I was wow. like, yeah. "Dang!" The town that I grew up in, Aurora, <laughs> Illinois, had one. Had one too. Interesting. Um, but I so, think there is some research out there that has been done that showed that there really is no um, connection between wealth and generosity. That it's it's really not the wealth doesn't generate the generosity. The wealth just happens to be the magnitude of the generosity. There are lots of people of medium means mm. who have generosity in them and yeah. make grants and and do things in their community that you know never show up on the radar screen. It's just right. but that and even well windfall of some sort, the sale of an asset, the sale of a business, et cetera doesn't necessarily lead to generosity, does it? Yeah. No, just because they have the means. Yes. Generosity is something that uh, you're talking about, Casey, that you grow up with it and you live it, you know, as, mm-hmm. as you know, throughout your life. It's not something that just triggers and then one day you have it, et cetera. Um, so. Well, it's also being aware of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. I live in a bubble. I'll admit it. I go three places, maybe four. 
and and the people that surround me are people that are very much like me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you, you don't really realize um, what's going on. I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but during my time on the Wellstar Foundation, they were talking about uh, the poverty during COVID. We get these COVID reports, you know, and there's so much poverty increasing in Cobb County. But at the same time, the Meredith Country Club had to put a waiting list for the number of people to get in, <laughs> you know, right. and they upped their initiation fee to like, I don't know, 40 grand or something. So it it's like you never would have known that those two things were happening at the exact same time. Wealthy people were having more privilege and the poor people were getting more poor, <laughs> right? In fact, not getting nutritious meals. And you're like, dad, gum, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we ended up um, actually canceling our client gifts that year. Mm-hmm. And we, we did the, um, instead of sending out, Hey, Merry Christmas, here's your, you know, basket. We just took whatever we're about to spend on basket baskets and did a, uh, a food truck. So that it's like a farmer's market like feel through through the foundation, uh, Wellstar foundation. But, um, and I, and I don't know that they're the best, uh, best catalyst for that. Um, in the end, um, I think there's other people who could probably execute it better, but at the time that was, there were the people on the street. You know what? Wellstar does a beautiful job. Willing to do that. And to your point, I think a lot of us live in that bubble. You know, I don't go a whole lot of places either. And you know, when we stay in our little, you know, East Cobb or North Cobb or wherever we're living area, we don't see, Right. The poverty and we don't see the needs. Uh, one of the other neat things that we do to kind of help people get outside their bubble. Um, and this is for fund holders, but if anyone else is interested, I mean, we can certainly we can certainly revisit this. But we have a nonprofit bus tour that we do on a quarterly basis. So we just send out that email. Hey, this quarter we're visiting, you know, X, Y, Z nonprofits. And uh, that's actually happening this Friday. And we have a couple seats remaining. Just putting it out there. Um <laughs> It's really, really a neat thing because it is getting you outside your bubble. You are visiting nonprofits perhaps that you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you haven't, but you're visiting their location and seeing some of the clients that they serve and seeing what they do day in and day out. And then, you know, there are some nonprofits that maybe they either don't have a physical location or, you know, back to that domestic violence, maybe, yeah. maybe it's a hidden location. So right. we invite them to speak on the bus between locations. So it's really, we, we always do it on a Friday morning. We serve lunch afterwards. We invite all those nonprofits back to our office and it's just a great time of conversation and education. Yeah. It's really, really neat. You know, also too, you know, I'll say it. Um, a lot of times people go, oh, well, they just didn't work hard enough. That's why they're in their situation. And they came up with all these reasons why they should never give someone a dime. And I, 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 to those people, I always would say, go back in your life. There's someone in your life at some point that gave you a leg up, right? It'd be a grandparent. It didn't necessarily mean, didn't have to be dollars. It could have been just some opportunity or maybe just uh, a person who encouraged you, or maybe it was just a person in your life that gave you structure <laughs> to help you stay in the lines, right? right? A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people live in just utter chaos, and to them, it's normal. But with a lot of these organizations, they're giving people who want more for themselves an opportunity to get from point A to point B. 
That's all they need. They just need that opportunity to do that. I don't think it's the government's responsibility to have any program to do that. I think it's the hearts of individuals and communities that should be doing it. But the problem is we've gotten so selfish over the last two decades that the government has to do it because there's no one else to, to fill the void other than organizations like your own, right? So I would say, look, think about things that you're passionate about and how can you connect with that passion to be able to, to help people? That's actually one of the questions that we ask because occasionally people will come to us either starting a fund or just, you know, asking for input. How do I figure out what my charitable passion is? You know, I haven't really given a whole lot to this point and I'm trying to figure that out. Um, so one of the questions that we ask are, what debts do you have to society? You know, has there been an organization that's really helped you out, your alma mater or, mm -hmm. you know, United Way or whatever the organization was or, you know, um, what, what debts do you have? And when people really start thinking, they do think of that person. Well, you know, my grandmother and she really loved this or the school, you know, whatever the case may be. But we all have debts. We yeah. all have those debts. That really also, too, I mean... I remember in Rotary, there was an organization that we profiled. Um, this has been several years ago, before COVID. Um, but it was, you know, Atlanta is a magnet for sex trafficking right now. And in fact, they even have announcements at the airport when you're walking through the airport about how to identify someone. Right. If you think someone has, right. you know, it's crazy. And it, um, uh, they did a bus tour, much like what you're talking about. <laughs> and they put people on a bus and they drove them to parts of town and said, we know that this is what's happening here. We know that this is where the bad guys live. We know that this is where they're picking up their prey. This is where, <laughs> this is where the prey is being shipped in. This is where they're keeping them. And people are like, what? I had no idea. Mm -hmm. There was, this is all this was happening on the street. And, and so it's, it's amazing um, how much we, we're just not aware of what's happening in our community. And to add on to what you just said, because I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, you know, I've heard about that in Atlanta or Fulton County or the airport that's not Cobb. <laughs> right. That is Cobb. Yeah. yeah, Marta doesn't come here, so we don't have those problems. Uh, it's everywhere, obviously. And um, to that point, there is an organization called the Table on Delk, because if you don't already know, Delk Road is a huge hub for trafficking. Right. Right there off of 75, really close to, you know, 285. Um, I've actually volunteered with them before and we went to the hotels and I mean, they got specific, you know, if the curtains are closed and everyone else is open, like that's what that means. Or look at all the cars that are here and it's, you know, 11 o'clock. Yeah. Like, why would that be? So just really helped open my eyes to right there, right yeah. there at your doorstep. That Which just to makes some me extent. <laughs> I mean, think of it, you know, if, if, if you were trying to set up a, a philanthropic, um, goal for yourself okay and you may not initially have quote that passion but you have the passion for wanting mm -hmm. the passion right okay right um however you set it up for the first person who receives something it was their passion <laughs> right Absolutely. that receiver that yes. was their passion yes. and and people's i would think their their philanthropic tendencies evolve and so maybe the first couple you're just giving to give, knowing that it's it's being used well. It may not have been you know like your specific passion, mm -hmm. but you're learning, you're growing. This goes back to you know the family living. You know the legacy is that you grow as a family and as an individual as you understand yourself and your giving tendencies and your philanthropic you know uh, characteristics. So 
um, getting started is really the, the important thing, isn't it, Barbara? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we love to see that, that flourish and grow, you know, like you said, for those who maybe that hasn't been their tendency in the past to see that passion just take over is, is really a beautiful thing. You know, going back to the the hotel comment, that, that, that makes me very angry because I think about all these just really smart people that I know, uh, know of, I should say, not friends with them necessarily, but they, they, they play golf at 830, they have their lunch, they play their card game, then they go home. And, you know, I bet you those people have connections that if they knew that was happening in their community, they could put pressure on that hotel owner. They could put pressure on the police who are doing nothing to help with the situation to clean up the community and get that out of here, you know? And so it's, it's very, um, uh, it just, again, it goes back to what is, you know, what is your legacy? What is it? You, what is it you want to be known for? Right. What, what ignites your, your passion inherently as humans, we're all selfish. And, but deep down inside, <laughs> I believe that there's, all, there are people want to help people too. Right. You know, you just have to, you just got to kind of hone in on that. And, exactly. and and I'm guilty of it too. We, we, we get kind of caught up in our bubbles. Right. We can't impact what we aren't aware of. Right. Yeah. And we can't solve all the world's problems. And that's another thing we hear. Well, you know, there's so many problems, so I'm just going <laughs> to hang tight right here. Yeah. But... We're not trying to solve the world. We're just trying to solve your neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. Which are pretty exactly. solvable usually. Right. right. And very interesting. What do you think some of the largest impacts are that you've seen through the, through the foundation and families? Gosh, there's so many. Um, I go back to COVID, and I know we talked about that the last time, but there were such immense needs, and Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of needs that were being taken care of. So there was a lot of housing assistance. So people were able to stay in their homes, but they weren't employed or they couldn't go in and they didn't have the capability to work remotely. So there was no, not much money coming in at all. And food was a huge Mm -hmm. need. So, um, again, you know, Sherry Martin just got together with those community stakeholders, and that was generous individuals, corporations, um, started out at the Atlanta Braves because, of course, they weren't playing either, Um, and the USDA Farmers to Families program, there was this food that was, you know, quote free. It was free to our community. The government was paying for it. Right. Um, But they just had to have a location large enough to house that. So, again, having those connections, having a place to house that, and then the nonprofits really coming together like never before. There were 10 or 12 pickups every week, and nonprofits were taking it not just back to their location, but also to other locations. Churches really played a huge part. So um, that food well, fed so Well, the infrastructure of your organization plays a huge role in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, having the facilities, having the logistics, the transportation, the connections, et cetera, um, makes it easy for an individual or a family to set up something. Yes. yes. Yeah. And what we do you, don't have those things, but we do have the connections to bring those things together. Yeah. So. What, what uh, do you think the biggest need is now in our local communities? Again, so if, many. If, if someone came in with $100,000, where would you deploy that first? So one thing that we are really working hard to do, well, there's a lot of things, but the biggest um, initiative right now that's going on is something that we're calling uh, community resource centers. So there are a lot of areas, and we, we call these red zones. So you're talking South Cobb, you're talking um, you know, areas of Mableton, um, actually not far from where our corporate office is. There's a huge Latino community with a whole lot of needs. And as we all know, transportation is a huge issue. 
So you've got folks who don't have resources, maybe they don't have a, a vehicle, um, but they're told, okay, so the organization that you need to go to for this kind of help is in downtown Marietta, the corporation or the, the nonprofit that you need to go to for this one mm-hmm. is off of Cobb Parkway. So you're talking many, many bus rides. Um, so then they can't work that day. What are they going to do with their kids? So we're really trying to, again, partner with nonprofits to bring together these community resource centers in areas where the need is so great, and then to bring the nonprofits to the people instead of the people to the nonprofits and put the onus mm-hmm. on the nonprofits. And we're helping through generous corporations and individuals to, um, to help fund that and bring that about. So it is not, it's not there yet, but that's what we're doing. What kind of services is this community looking for? All kinds of services. So mental health, um, you know, just financial assistance, food, uh, tutoring, mentoring to your to your um, profession. You know, financial literacy. How do you mm-hmm. learn about saving and all of that kind of thing? If no one's ever taught you, you really don't know. Right. So you know, bringing in all those kind of folks, and this person's always going to be here on Tuesday, and you know that this is who the contact will be, and you establish a relationship with them. Interesting. So, you know, we talked a bit more about the donors, donor advised fund. I think, I think we should add to the conversation that, you know, there's a, there's also a financial benefit for doing this too. And the, the benefit is that you get the tax deduction, just like if you would give to your church or to a, a must or any organization, you can create your own donor advised fund. Uh, and when you donate the $10,000, it's, it's a charitable contribution to your own fund. And then you get to control the funds after that. And, and decide which other organizations would benefit from from that fund. I've had some families create donor advised funds where um, they just say, okay, we put in 50,000. It grew to 6,000, maybe not in 2022, but <laughs> other years, <laughs> right. right? It grew to 6,000. So we're going to take $6,000 off the top and then we're going to, we're going to then uh, donate. That's what we donate, you know, at the end of the year right. or into the next fiscal year. So there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You could just do an average spend down rate. Um, I'm sure you see families doing different things. We and do. We do. Obviously, there's and then you could also you, you could put in ten thousand, but then you could put in hundred bucks a month. Mm-hmm. You know, going forward, you can keep adding to it to build it up to be uh, to be something bigger. So there's a lot of di- there's a lot of different ways, a lot of uh, uh, different advantages for doing a donor advised fund, uh, but ultimately. I think your heart has to be not so much for the tax deduction, although that's great. Your heart has to be set up to, okay, we're going to make an impact. I just don't know where it's going to be yet. Right. And so that's a great, that's a reason to have that holding tank as opposed to sitting it inside a uh, savings account uh, and it's sitting there. Yes. yes. So, and you guys have uh, financial advisors you partner with like Wiser and other, other uh, well-known firms that help uh, facilitate the investments of those, of those assets. Yes. So it's not like a, you have to self-direct um, where, the, where the money goes. And they're not sitting there. You know, we don't bury them under a rock. So they are invested per the donor's, um, you know, instructions. And those could be aggressively invested, conservatively invested, you know, a mix of the above. So great. Well, are growing, hopefully. We'll link to um, the website uh, for, for people who need help with items and maybe time. Uh, I think that's important to our listeners. And obviously uh, uh, if they want to have donor advised conversations, they can do that through our office or through your office. Um, And Barbara, thanks for taking your time to come and chat with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to a Wiser Retirement Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. That way you don't miss any new episodes. We would also appreciate if you could leave a rating and review. If you have any questions about anything that was discussed today, head to wiserinvestor.com and reach out. We would love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Lilton Moore. This podcast is strictly for informational purposes only and is not to be considered as investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any financial products, securities, digital assets, or any other investment vehicles or a basis to make any financial decisions. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. The host and or guest may personally own securities, digital assets, or other investment vehicles mentioned on this podcast. Neither the host nor guest of the show are compensated for their participation and no referral fees are paid to or received by any host or guest for clients, listeners, or similar interests. Investments involve risk, and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor, tax professional, insurance professional, and or legal professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.